Hi, true crime fans. You're tuning into Coffee, Murder, and Mystery, a true crime podcast where we discuss murder, mystery, and the supernatural. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hey, true crime fans. I'm your host, Melissa Lancaster. I'm Mandy. My friend Mandy is here podcasting with me today for the first time, and we are doing this podcast over the phone. So this is our first time using that feature, so we do apologize for any sound hiccups that may occur. I did have a quick announcement to make. We did get our own website, www.coffeemurderandmystery.com, and we also now have a Patreon So if you join our Patreon, you will be able to hear a new series. It's bi-weekly over the next month and a half, and it is on historical executions. I think it's going to be super interesting. I'm really excited about it. I also want to give a special thank you to the country of Zimbabwe. I just received an email that stated we were the number one true crime podcast in Zimbabwe in the last 30 days. I am so thankful that you guys are enjoying my podcast. I feel very thankful that you're listening. And I think that that has been the sweetest thing anyone has said to me all month, that we have the number one true crime podcast in Zimbabwe. So thank you so much. We are going to tell you the story of David Parker Ray and his toy box. Viewer discretion is advised for this episode. We're going to be talking about torture, rape, really some brutal, brutal things. And if you are my mom or my children, please turn this off immediately and go to the last episode. David Parker Ray was a Scorpio born on November 6, 1939. According to sunsigns.org, if your birthday is November 6th, you are determined to get ahead in life. You keep your word and expect the same from your friends. David was born in New Mexico. He was a shy and socially awkward child, which led him to be bullied. David was raised by his grandfather. His father would come to visit him semi-regularly. Not much is known about his childhood, but his father was an alcoholic, whom, on his semi-regular visits, would expose him to sadomasochistic pornography magazines. David had rape-torture fantasies during his teenage years. I do feel that we hear about killers and rapists being bullied a lot. Um, Same thing with pornography at a young age. I think that these are common factors. It does really seem like it, especially when you think about what pornography, especially like this kind of pornography, could really do to a young mind. It seems to me that this pornography, I don't think we know like an exact age, was being shown to David before like the age of 12, like maybe even like eight to 10 is kind of my impression. I I mean, that's just disgusting and abusive. Right, yeah, exactly. David had a younger sister, Peggy, and she at one time discovered his bondage torture drawings when he was just a teen. David would also keep journals of torture bondage fantasies as well. David completed high school and was honorably discharged from the army. David was mechanically inclined from a young age. He was known to take engines apart from junkyards and put them back together, fixing them. He would hang out at junkyards often and was known to blow stuff up in the neighborhood. 
David furthered his mechanic skills in the army and went on to be a mechanic. David was married four times. All four marriages would be short-lived, but did provide David Ray with his daughter, Jessie. Did David have other children? David did have one other child, but I don't really see this child in his stories. I believe the mother probably kept custody of this child. Good mother. Definitely a wise decision in this case. But Jesse's mother actually took her and left her while David was in the army and revoked her parental rights. David did come back from the army and he did go get Jesse and he did proceed to raise her on his own. In 1997, David Ray would meet his girlfriend-to-be, Cindy Hendy. Cindy's childhood was not ideal. She was raised near Everett, Washington, where her mother bartended. I didn't see anything about Cindy's father, but Cindy's mother seemed to be a victim of domestic abuse, as well as an abuser. She was absolutely not a woman who put her child first. It's been said that she would regularly leave Cindy hungry. A childhood friend is reported as saying the following of Cindy's mother. She would never give the kids a dime. All of us were hungry. We'd be lucky to get a can of tuna fish out of her. We'd go over after school and Cindy would have to beg like hell until her mother threw us a can of tuna fish just to get rid of us. It sounds like Cindy's mother definitely wasn't maternal, but I don't think the part about her not wanting to feed all of Cindy's friends is a particular thing that she should be judged for. You know, as a single mom, it can get expensive to feed other kids, you know? That's true. I don't particularly want to feed the neighborhood kids either. Cindy's mother would regularly allow abuse in her household. Her boyfriend, Dick, would beat her mother in front of her. But her mother did move on to a different man, marrying him when Cindy was about eight. He tried to rape her at age 11, but convinced Cindy's mother that he was just drunk and in the wrong bed. You know, trying to commit rape in the wrong bed. (laughs) Right, that can happen. Cindy's mother believed him and together they kicked her out of the house. She must have ended up back home at some point for a short while because at the age of 12, Cindy did leave home on her own accord. Cindy started a trouble life as most 12-year-olds would on their own. She dated a drug dealer and prostituted herself. She also started drinking heavily and using cocaine. Cindy was said to have enjoyed rough sex and had rape fantasies, once telling her boyfriend that they should rape a prostitute. I read an article one time that said that childhood abuse can become adult hypersexuality. It's a way for the victim to regain control. I have heard that as well, and it seems like Cindy probably needed therapy that she did not receive. Definitely. Cindy ended up running from drug charges and ended up in New Mexico in 1997. And this is how Cindy Hendy would meet David Parker Ray who would become known as the Toy Box Killer. Cindy and David Ray would meet at a state park where Cindy was employed. She was 37 years old when she started living with David, who was 20 years her senior. David and Cindy bonded over their deviant sexual fantasies and he confessed to her that he had been killing women for years, boasting numbers such as one a year for 40 years. 
David Ray supposedly told Cindy, quote, the thing to do is cut them down the belly, scoop out their guts, fill the chest cavity with cement weights, and use a bailing wire to wrap them up. And these were instructions on burying a body in a lake. You know, I wasn't sure what bailing wire was, so I looked it up. It's a type of wire used in agriculture and industry for mending fences and binding bales of hay. So when you see the bales of hay in a farmer's field, they are bound with bailing wire um, and they can be made of iron or steel. And I had no idea what that was. I didn't know what it was either, so that's very helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. David Ray had created a toy box. This was an actual cargo trailer filled with nightmares. Somehow David had got his hands on an obstetrics chair and equipped the chair with restraints. He put a large mirror on the ceiling above the chair so that his victims would have to see themselves being brutally tortured and raped. The torture devices in this toy box included whips, chains, pulleys, straps, clamps, spreader bars, surgical blades, saws, dildos, syringes, and homemade electrical generator. Wooden devices were also found to restrain the women in different positions to make them easily accessible to rape. I heard that he made his own tools and torture devices. Some he did. He would actually cast dildos out of some sort of filler material. How gross is that? Oh my god, this guy. One thing that I want to be clear about is that David Parker Ray was never charged with murder. As a matter of fact, there are only two bodies even connected with him and and in one case they convicted someone of her murder. David Ray did help torture her. But in the other case, He was never convicted of that murder. He was never even charged. The reason that David Ray has not been charged in any murders is because there is just no evidence. But FBI and law enforcement believe that he may have murdered up to 60 women in over a period of 40 years. 45 years seems like so long to be murdering and to get away with murder. But David Ray Parker may have been the evil genius that did it. What always amazes me about people who are evil is that they always are able to find and connect with other people who are evil as well. Going back to David's journals, David kept these journals from an early age. These journals don't seem to be available to the public, but from my understanding, They are not journals documenting David's daily activities. These were journals documenting sexual brutality, BDSM, torture, and sadomasochism, possibly even murder. David claims that his journals just document fantasies, that nothing in them is real. Investigators suspect different. They heavily suspect that these journals document the kidnapping, torture, and rape of numerous women. But they document something else as well. The women who dated David Ray may not have just been women who dated David Ray. They may have been his accomplices as well. You know, even if both people are evil, 
It's amazing to me how they can trust each other not to harm the other person. I would think that they would be somewhat scared, but I mean, maybe something in their mind is lacking and they don't think of those things like normal people would. Right. Like knowing that my boyfriend was killing and torturing women, I would be terrified for my own safety, even if I was helping him. Right. And I would think that he may feel the same about me. Right. Another thing I've always wondered, like, how does this conversation come up? Like, you're just talking about right. fantasies and it's just escalating. Do you just meet somebody in a bar and you're like, yeah, I, I murder, I rape, I right. torture. And they're like, I'm down with that. I just, I've never yeah, understood Yeah, I this. do too. Or maybe they go on a dating website and that's both of their interests and they meet. <laughs> right. That's the nowadays way. Right. Yeah, that's right. This is... The 90s, right? Right. <laughs> and people still met at bars and on the street. According to the podcast Serial Killers, David's first evil lair was a local cave. A cave David and a girlfriend would use to kidnap, rape, torture, and possibly kill women. One reason investigators cannot label this journal as either truth or fiction is because they can't locate the victims, either living or dead. But David did keep trophies, or at least investigators think. If you head over to the FBI website, they have a list of items they believe may have belonged to David's victims. If you have a missing family member from before David's arrest in 1999, take a chance and look. You may recognize something. Can you imagine how heartbreaking it would be to look at all of that stuff? Like, even if you don't know the victim, it reminds me of several years ago, I went to see the Titanic exhibit, and it made me feel really emotional to see the personal items of the passengers. It made it more real, even though I knew what happened and I, and I knew that it was from real people. Just seeing it, it was really powerful. And I did look at these pictures. There's about 500 of them, but many of them are of the same item you know, just different pictures, different angles of the same item. And it really is sad. I mean, a lot of them are like little cherub pins or jewelry that the women were wearing. Right. So it really humanizes them when you look at it like that. I mean, we know they're humans. We know they're women. But to see that, you know, it reminds you of, you know, maybe that cherub pin was a gift from somebody's grandmother who loved this person or you know, it could go on and on and on, and it's just really sad to me. Right, and these women really do deserve justice. Another theory is that David may not have killed anyone, but possibly made them forget. To help you understand what I mean, let's talk a little bit about the toy box. As I said earlier, the toy box was a cargo container full of torture devices and a gynecological chair. Looking at the inside of the toy box, it looks very crowded. There is so much stuff hanging from the walls that it reminds me of somebody's messy tool area in a garage. The dildos are unnerving. One even says the word stretcher on it and is not suitable for any type of penetration. There were cameras in the toy box as well. David was recording these women's torture from every angle. There were strange-looking, naked, anatomically correct dolls sitting amongst these toys, and they were wearing bondage gear. 
When David took a woman into the toy box, it's believed that he would strap her in and she would hear a click. The tape that David had recorded for this purpose would start to play. I'm going to read this to you. It's not for the faint of heart. It's vulgar. It threatens. It mentions rape. But if you're still listening, it's long. But here we go. I'm not for the tape yet, but this whole thing reminds me of the movie Saw. Like, everything about this sounds like a horror movie. And I love horror movies. I do. But I don't know that I could watch this one. Yeah, we don't love them when they're real life. They intrigue us, but we don't love them. Yeah, definitely. David's tape would start with, Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped and what's going to happen to you and how long you will be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993 as a general advisory tape for future female captives. The information that I'm going to give to you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. At a future date, there are any major changes in our procedures, the tape will be upgraded. Now you are obviously here against your will, totally helpless, don't know where you're at, don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose and know that you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think that you're going to be raped and you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is in what is between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got because basically you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. Sound kind of far out? Well, I suppose it is to the uninitiated, but we do it all the time. It's going to take a lot of adjustment on your part, and you're not going to like it a fucking bit. I don't give a big rat's ass about that. It's not like you're going to have any choice about the matter. You've been taken by force, and you're going to be kept and used by force. What all this amounts to is that you're going to be kept naked and chained up like an animal. To be used and abused any time we want to. Any way that we want to. And you might as well start getting used to it because you're going to be kept here and used until such time as we get tired of fucking around with you. And we will eventually in a month or two, maybe three. It's no big deal. My lady friend and I have been keeping sex slaves for years. We both have kinky hangups involving rape, dungeon games, etc. We found that it is extremely convenient to keep one or two female captives available constantly to uh, satisfy our particular needs. We are very selective when we snatch a girl to use for these purposes. It goes without saying that you have a fine body and you're probably young, maybe very young, because for our purposes we prefer to snatch girls in early to mid-teens, sexually developed but still small-bodied, scared shitless, easy to handle and easy to train, and they usually have tight little pussies and assholes. They make perfect slaves anytime that we go on a hunting trip. If we can't find a little teenager, we usually start hitting the gay bars and looking for well-built, big-tittied lesbians. I thoroughly enjoy raping and screwing around with lesbians, and there's not as much danger of them carrying a sexually transmitted disease. 
and I don't like using condoms. Also, even though they're a little older, unless they've been playing with dildos a lot, they still have tight holes between their legs, like the younger girls. If we can't find a lesbian that we want, we snatch anything that is young, clean, well-built. We very seldom come back empty-handed, because there's plenty of bitches out there to choose from. And with a little practice and deception, most of them is very easy to get with little risk. At this point, it makes little difference what category you fall into. You're here and we're gonna make the most of it. You're going to be kept in a hidden slave room. It is relatively soundproof, escape-proof, and it is completely stocked with devices and equipment to satisfy our sexual fetishes and deviations. There may or may not be another girl in the room. Occasionally, for variety, we like to keep two slaves at the same time. In either case, as the new girl, you'll definitely be getting the most attention for a while. Now, as I said earlier, you're going to be kept like an animal. I guess I've been doing this too long. I've been raping bitches ever since I was old enough to jerk off and tie little girls' hands behind their back. As far as I'm concerned, you're a pretty piece of meat to be used and exploited. I don't give a flying fuck about your mind or how you feel about this situation. You may be married, have a kid or two, boyfriend, girlfriend, a job, car payment, fuck it. I don't give a rat's ass about any of that. I don't want to hear about it. It's something you're going to have to deal with after you're turned loose. I make it a point never to like a slave and I fucking sure don't have any respect for you. Here, your status is no more than that of one of the dogs or of one of the animals out in the barn. Your only value to us is the fact that you have an attractive, usable body. And like the rest of our animals, you will be fed and watered, kept in good physical condition, kept reasonably clean, and allowed to use the toilet when necessary. In return, you're going to be used hard, especially during your first few days while you're new and fresh. You're going to be kept chained in a variety of different positions, usually with your legs or knees forced wide apart. And then there's just some horrible mentions of horrible rape and I'm gonna skip those because I can't even bring myself to read them. I can't even imagine that it's getting worse. Yeah it's pretty bad I just I feel like I can't even say that out loud it's so bad um so it's just like a paragraph that I'm gonna skip and um I'm gonna start with if you're a young teeny bopper and ignorant about fetishes and deviations you're about to get an enlightening crash course in sex. Who knows you may like some of it it happens occasionally If we want to take the time and trouble, even under these conditions, most bitches can be brought to orgasm. Now, I've already told you that you're going to be here a month or two, maybe three. If you keep us turned on, it's up to my lady. We would keep you indefinitely. She says it's as much fun and less risky. But personally, I like variety. A fresh pussy now and then to play with. We take four or five different girls each year, depending on our urges and sometimes accidental encounters. Basically, I guess we are like predators. We are always looking. Occasionally, some sweet little thing will be broke down on the side of the road, walking, bicycling, jogging. Anytime an opportunity like that presents itself and it's not too risky, we'll grab her, even if we've already got a captive in the playroom. Variety is definitely the spice of life. Now, I'm sure that you're a great little piece of ass and you're gonna be a lot of fun to play with, but I will get tired of you eventually. And if I killed every bitch that we kidnapped, there would be bodies strung all over the country. And besides, I don't like killing a girl unless it's absolutely necessary. So I've devised a safe, alternate method of disposal. 
I had plenty of bitches to practice on over the years, so I've pretty well got it down pat, and I enjoy doing it. I get off on mind games. After we get completely through with you, you're going to be drugged up real heavy with a combination of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital. They are both hypnotic drugs that will make you extremely susceptible to hypnosis, auto-hypnosis, and hypnotic suggestion. You're going to be kept drugged a couple of days while I play with your mind. By the time I get through brainwashing you, you're not going to remember a fucking thing about this little adventure. You won't remember this place, us, or what has happened to you. There won't be any DNA evidence because you'll be bathed and both holes between your legs will be thoroughly flushed out. You'll be dressed, sedated, and turned loose on some country road, bruised, eh, sore all over, but nothing that won't heal up in a week or two. The thought of being brainwashed may not be appealing to you, but we've been doing it a long time and it works. And it's the lesser of two evils. I'm sure that you would prefer that in lieu of being strangled or having your throat cut. Okay, undoubtedly someone's going to be looking for you. There may or may not be a missing persons report, but nobody's going to be looking for you here. They don't have any idea where you're at. You don't even know where you're at. We're always careful about that. There are not going to be any knights in shining armor coming to rescue you. You are strictly on your own, and under the circumstances, I bet that is a scary thought. If there is another girl in the room, she won't be able to help you either, because she's going to be in the same position you're in. As for escaping, I'm sure you'll try to figure out a way. That's human nature, but it's not hardly even worth talking about here. It would not be prudent on our part to have you running around in the woods screaming rape. It would be an embarrassment to say the least. Consequently, you are going to be kept in an environment that is even more secure than a prison cell. If it has not already been done, very shortly a steel collar is going to be padlocked around your neck. It has a long heavy chain that is padlocked to a ring in the floor. The collar will never be removed until you are turned loose. It is a permanent fixture. The hidden playroom where you're going to be kept has steel walls, floors, and a ceiling. It is virtually soundproof and has a steel door with two keyed locks. The hinges are welded on and there are two heavy deadbolts on the outside. The room is totally escape proof, even with tools. Anytime you are left unattended in the room, your wrists will be chained and there are electronic sensors to uh, let us know if you move around too much. And if that's not enough, there is a closed circuit TV system with a surveillance camera. It's wired to the main TV in the living room so we can check on you once in a while or just sit and watch you for the fun of it. Electronics is a wonderful thing, expensive, but hell, everything in the room is expensive and damn well worth it. If everyone knew how much fun it was to keep a sex slave, half the women would be chained up in somebody's basement. So I'm not going to read a lot of this section because it's just basic mentions of rape. Um, I'm probably not going to read very much more of it because... It's just disgusting. Um, so I'm going to read some just like notable things throughout it. Um, here's an area that says, I would really hate to have to dump that pretty little body off in a canyon somewhere to rot. I'm not trying to scare you. That's just the way it is. I've already told you that you're going to be whipped lightly for pleasure. The electric shock will be used lightly for pleasure. Most of the other nasty things that we're going to do for the most part will be done on your breasts, nipples, and between your legs. The lady is fortunate. She can get off anytime. She just likes to be a little sadistic with a slave once in a while. 
In my case, I cannot get off with a girl unless I hurt her first. That's basically the reason I'm into rape and slavery, and the reason that you're going to be subject to a certain amount of pain. Mostly what we do to a captive is stick needles in her breasts and through her nipples, through her cunt lips, through her clit, and I'm into stretching certain things. I'm going to skip the next big section. It's pretty much the same things over and over. Just talk about how he's going to use all their holes, the horrible things he's going to do with them. And then the ending states this. Eventually, things will settle down a little. Then just take it day by day. Well, I believe I've told you about everything that I can. I cannot predict the future. I can't predict changes of procedure. But if this tape is being played for you, I have to assume that it is still reasonably accurate. And I can only give you advice. Be smart and be a survivor. Don't ever scream. Don't talk without permission. Be very quiet. Be docile and obedient and by all means, show proper respect. And then it ends with, have a nice day. Oh my God, this guy is a monster. Probably like the worst monster ever, actually. I just can't, I, I don't even have words. I mean, how can you think of all that stuff? How does your brain come up with all of that messed up stuff? I mean, this is stuff, it's terror only out of people's nightmares. So, I mean, what amazes me is that this really seems like he he's giving instructions for people that he's kidnapped. And he claims that this is actually a tape that was used in bondage-type fantasies and that women knew what they were getting into. The first words of the tape, which I found this on the FBI website. I didn't find it in any like transcript of the tape. You can look up this tape and you can find it anywhere, the transcript of the tape. But it, the first words of it, according to the FBI website, are actually, this is for adult entertainment purposes only. And to me, it really sounds like even if these women did sign up for like a BDSM fantasy, you know, stuff like that, this seems extra extreme. I could be wrong. It does. I mean, I feel like, and I don't really know anything about it, but let's just say that they did sign up for something. I wouldn't think it would be for months. I, I could be wrong, right. but I, I feel like it would be an evening or a weekend, not months. Right. When Cindy Vijo arrived to the toy box, she found it to be absolute torture. I listened to Cindy's interview on the True Consequences podcast. It's amazing what she endured. It was horrific and she was exceptionally brave. If you get a chance, head over to trueconsequences.com and check out episode five to hear her interview. Here's what I took from it. And just to be clear for everyone, we do have two women named Cindy in, that are key players in this story. To avoid any confusion, I want to state their names again. Cindy Vigil is a brave woman who was a victim of David Ray. Cindy Hendy is his evil girlfriend. Cindy Vigil had a hard life. Her mother died when she was young, leaving her to the streets. Cindy did end up a drug addict for some time as well as a prostitute. Cindy Vigil was in New Mexico working the street when she was told a man asked for her specifically. Cindy walked over and got into his RV. David handed the money to a man, I assume this was her pimp, 
through a window and the man ran off. Cindy was immediately not comfortable, but David Ray handed her money and while she was putting it away, David quickly slapped a handcuff on her wrist. Cindy was still mobile and trying to get out of the RV when she was thrown off by David yelling the name Cindy. She thought David was yelling her name and probably was wondering how he knew her name, but David was yelling for Cindy Hendy, his evil accomplice. And when he did, Cindy Hendy appeared from behind a curtain in the RV. She was holding a cattle prod, and with the element of surprise, Cindy Hendy was able to shock Cindy V. Hill in the throat, taking her hostage to the ground. They completed cuffing her wrists, fastening her cuffs around a cabinet handle. But as they were driving, brave Cindy V. Hill was unscrewing the handle. But when they stopped, Cindy's plan to run for the door was foiled as she fell to the ground, making a noise, and they knew that she was loose. Can you imagine thinking that you might get away and then them finding out that you're not restrained? It would be, I just can't even imagine. I can't imagine no. what went through it. Just terrible. Oh my God. Yeah, your, your heart would just sink right there. But brave Cindy's nightmare only got worse from there. They stripped her down, restrained her arms and legs, and put some sort of bondage mask over her face. Cindy could only breathe through the holes in the mask, no more sight. But she was smart enough to gag and pretend that she was going to be sick. They took the mask off of her so she didn't choke on her vomit, but that didn't work in her favor. They duct taped her head. After they took that off, they tried to force her to drink hot damn, but she kept spitting it back at David. Finally, they arrived at David Ray's home. They took Cindy out of the RV, restrained and naked. And this is during the day, and not a single person reported seeing this. This amazes me that they were that bold to take her in the house naked in broad daylight. And some people think that the neighbors may have been sometimes involved in what he was doing and may have known, and to me they had to have been. How did nobody see this? She thinks maybe he knew like when they weren't home, like maybe when they were all at work, but they couldn't have all been at work at the same time. You know, I could buy that maybe if he did this to one person, but he's done this to several people. So how does he get by with that? It's crazy. Right. I mean, if it is true that he did do it to several people, which I mean, if you go by his tape, if you go by his journals, I mean, nobody knows that 100%, but it seems like maybe he has done this to all those people. Yeah, how could this go on for years and years and years and nobody see anything? Yeah, that's baffling. When Cindy got into the house, they put a thick collar on her and padlocked it. They actually chained her to the wall. They tortured her at times using a battery to shock various parts of her body at various levels for various lengths of time. This is what Cindy refers to as the mock toy box, a room in David's home used for a torture area. In this area, she was placed laying flat on a massage table. In the toy box outside, David would strap women to a gynecological chair. Brave Cindy could overhear the conversation evil Cindy Hendy and David were having. They had kidnapped her to keep her there with David, 
while evil Cindy was visiting her children for the birth of her grandchild. The fact that they made her lay flat down on the massage table is so scary um, because you couldn't see them. I just feel like it adds another layer of torture taking away, you know, one of her senses. Yes, definitely. According to their conversation, they were going to kill her when evil Cindy returned from the birth of her grandchild. Brave Cindy also overheard David and evil Cindy's plans to kidnap a child. They wanted to raise her as a sex slave. I believe that brave Cindy was put in this situation by whatever higher power for her strength because after three days of horrible torture, three days of being shocked, whipped, having things inserted into her, three days of being chained, and even at one point having gravy poured on her lady parts for a dog to lick off. After three days of this, brave Cindy was chained to the wall by her collar. When she was able to grab a key, David had gone to work and evil Cindy was watching soap operas. While evil Cindy got up to grab a phone call, brave Cindy had her eye on a key that was mistakenly left across the coffee table. She was able to knock the table in a way to get the key close enough to herself to grab the key. Evil Cindy saw this and dropped the phone. Can you imagine having a girl in the other room chained to the wall and you're just sitting there watching TV and talking on the phone? No, and I also can't imagine this the opposite way where I'm just sitting there chained to a wall and just some bitch is watching TV. <laughs> right. And this is this is a grandma now. What? <laughs> Old people can be evil too, I guess. I mean, she wasn't. I guess. So when when evil Cindy saw that she had grabbed the key, she dropped the phone and ran over to her. She grabbed a lamp and started hitting brave Cindy with the lamp. She also had grabbed an ice pick from somewhere. Nobody quite knows where this ice pick came from and started stabbing her with the ice pick. But brave Cindy did not give up. She grabbed the phone and the ice pick and calling 911, brave Cindy threw the phone so that the 911 operators could hear what was going on. Brave Cindy tried to stab evil Cindy with the ice pick, but she hit her in the forehead and so it didn't like penetrate, it was more of like a scrape. Brave Cindy ran out the door while evil Cindy grabbed the phone and hung up on the 911 operator. The 911 operator called back and evil Cindy told them that all was well, but the 911 dispatcher still dispatched police anyway. And a big thank you to that 911 dispatcher. It is not often in these stories that we hear stuff like this. Usually it's that 911 was not dispatched, that people did not care like they should. And this woman dispatched police anyway. I hope she got a huge raise. You know, yeah, this is awesome. Until I started listening to true crime podcasts, I always assumed that the dispatcher would always send help when you called 911. And that is just not I it's not, and that's really scary. There was a car driving by, and brave Cindy tried to get in it. You can't really blame the woman for locking her doors and driving away. I mean, brave Cindy was naked, frantic, wearing a collar, and covered in blood. She was running through this subdivision looking for a trailer that she thought someone was home at. 
she ran into the house of an elderly couple begging for help and they let her in. They let her in and she said that she sat down at their counter and there was a cigarette burning and she picked it up and started to smoke it. I guess she deserves that. I, yeah. Brave Cindy speaks so fondly of this couple. The woman immediately called 911 while she yelled for her husband to get her the pink bathrobe off of the bathroom door. He covered her with the pink bathrobe and reassured her that he had a 12-gauge shotgun ready, and if anyone tried to get her, they were goners. This couple must have seemed like angels to Cindy. They are angels. Thank God that they were there and didn't shut the door. And just, Yeah. They, I, I wonder sometimes like what I would do in these situations. I mean, I would always call the police, but, you know, it would be, it, it would scary. be scary. Yeah, because you don't know if it's a trick. Right. And I think that a lot of like us thinking that it could be a trick is because people like Ted Bundy, you know, they would pretend that they were helpless on the side of the road and just to trap women. Right. And then you even hear stories about women being in danger. And when you go to help them, a man or, a, you know, another group of people come up and rob you, rape you, attack you, kidnap you. You know, the women are kind of the bait. So... You just don't know. And Cindy did not trust the police that arrived at the scene because their uniforms looked very close to David Ray's work uniform. When he had cuffed her for the first time, he had showed her a badge and pretended to be a cop. But she did say that this was not like any badge that she had ever seen before. But still, she did not trust law enforcement that arrived. Brave Cindy waited for a Hispanic state police officer to arrive before she would leave the trailer. The police had arrested David and Evil Cindy a block away from where Brave Cindy found solace with the older man and woman. They told police that they were only trying to help Cindy, not kidnap her, that they were trying to help her kick her heroin addiction. This brave woman was put in this position by a higher power. She brought them down. She stopped them and she saved a girl from possibly being kidnapped and raised as their sex slave. So like I said earlier, David Ray raised his daughter Jessie basically on his own. And it seems the girl was raised to embrace David's perversions, even joining in on them at times. When investigators searched David's home and toy box, they found a video of an identifiable woman being tortured in David's toy box. The woman had a tattoo on her leg. Police put a picture of this tattoo out, asking for information on the woman. The tattoo was recognized by a family member, and the woman came forward with a strange story. Can you imagine finding that out about yourself like that? No. That, that's too scary. Kelly Van Cleve was newly married in 1990. She and her husband had an argument, and Kelly took off to the saloon for the night. After having a few drinks, Kelly was feeling a little extra drunk and asked a friend to help her get home. Unfortunately, this friend was Jessie Ray. Jessie put Kelly on the back of her bike and assured her that she would get home safe. She just needed to stop at home for something really fast. When Jessie and Kelly entered the home of David Ray, they just said, have a seat on the couch. I'll be right back. The next thing Kelly knew, there was a knife being pointed at her and a collar being put around her neck. 
She was now at the disposal of David Ray. After days of torture, Kelly was let go. I read a few different accounts of this. Some sources stated David Ray took her home and claimed that she was wandering on the beach and he just found her. Other sources stated that Ray slashed her throat and thinking that she was dead, dropped her on the side of the road. Either way, her new husband did not believe her. By the time that she had made it home, he had already filed for divorce, assuming she was cheating. Kelly, on the other hand, claimed she had no memory of the days that she was missing. Remember the chemicals Ray spoke of in his terrible audio tape? So back to what Mandy was saying, this is literally how this woman found out that this happened to her. I am a little bit surprised that she didn't report this. Like, I know she she forgot. Like, her memory was wiped, but it's that she was talking about the knife being pointed at her. Did she remember that at the time, or did she remember that later? Why wouldn't she tell anybody? So from my understanding, she really had no memory of any of these events at all, but was having kind of nightmares about them and maybe like a few little glimpses here and there that she didn't know what it was. And then investigators showed her tapes where she could identify that these tapes were in fact her. So I don't know what they had on tape and what she remembered or had these nightmares about. So I'm guessing that the taste probably triggered her memory. From my understanding, I would I would think, yeah. I would think you would probably want to block some of it out too. I also read that these women were in and out of consciousness while they were being tortured, which makes sense, I mean. Yeah, I think that's your body's natural way to cope. Yeah, dealing with it. <laughs> Extreme stress. Another victim, Angelica, Montano came forward as well. She stated that she had been kidnapped by David and made a police report, and there was no follow-up by police. Sadly, she would pass away of pneumonia before her trial. David Ray was never convicted in her case. Now, going back to what I was saying earlier, it amazes me how murderers, evil people, or in this case, rapists, tend to find each other. To me, this can only mean one thing. There are so many more of them out there that you and I think that there are. For instance, if you look back at David's journals over the years, he has two, possibly three girlfriends who were not only okay with his behavior, but accomplices in it. I never thought of it that way before, but you're right. There really must be more crazy people out there than we realize if they manage to find each other like that. And it happens all the time. I mean, so many cases of serial killers pairing up with other serial killers. It's bizarre to me. It really is. I, I guess I never really thought of it like that until you said it. It's super scary. David's daughter is said to have made a few FBI calls at a few points in time against her father, telling them that he would either murder women or take them across the Mexican border and sell them into sex trafficking. The FBI stated she didn't give enough information to start an investigation on David. So now we are up to five accomplices, possibly, counting evil Cindy. David seemed to have another accomplice, 
After David's arrest, he admitted that Billy Bowers was his accomplice. They were business partners. Billy Bowers was last seen on September 22, 1988. His remains would not be identified for 11 years, and no one would know exactly what happened to Billy. Do people think that David killed him? There is suspicion that that could be, but nobody knows. So now we're at six possible accomplices. And then there's Dennis Yancey, who strangled Marie Parker. He was convicted, but David Ray seemed to be his accomplice. David helped him torture Marie Parker before Dennis Yancey strangled her. Yancey could possibly get out of prison in 2021. It's also suspected that some of David's neighborhood friends may have been in on this as well, known of his activities and possibly even joined in at parties that David would have at his home. I don't think that I know one person that would be aware of this type of activity and not report it. It's, it's just crazy how this many people can know about this and participate and not report him. I think that we think that the people around us would would report it because we would report it. So that's maybe what they would say to us. But I think that statistically, it's impossible. I think that if they knew that like we didn't feel that way, then they would really maybe show their true colors. Yeah, that's a good point. David was not convicted of kidnapping and torture during his first trial the judge would not admit much of the evidence into the trial. A lot of the torture devices and the audio tape could not be used. Also, he was to be tried for the two women separately, leaving the jury to not be able to hear from the other victim, to just think that this was a one-time circumstance. Why wouldn't they allow the torture devices and audio and let the jury know about the other victim. I honestly could not understand that. I, I really couldn't. It Something about, you know, from like when the crimes were reported and going, going back to that, you know, that time, how they could not prove that those things were actually in the toy box at that time. I personally didn't understand any of it because how can you prove anything was there the day before today? I, I mean unless you have an audio, I mean, a videotape of it. I, I didn't understand that at all. And honestly, I just think that the judge in this case was not a fair judge. Right. I, it doesn't sound like it. I don't, I don't understand. David argued that the bondage was consensual and that since Cindy Vijo was a prostitute, she knew what she was signing up for. It was a hung jury with two women not able to make the decision of a guilty plea. The prosecution wanting to get David off the streets offered him a deal. David would spend life in prison, he was sickly, and Jessie Ray, David's daughter, would go free on time served. David took this deal, only serving a year before his health got the best of him and he passed away. I'm glad karma got to him. See, I think that this is crap. I think, I wish he would have served way more time in prison. And Jesse Ray was literally at least one time lured women into his lair, literally for him to torture. 
I almost wish that he hadn't taken the deal. Even if he would have gone free, he was sickly. Like they said that he was having heart attacks and chest pains and everything all throughout his trial. So he was sickly. He didn't even serve a year in prison. I kind of wish she would have served the time instead. I feel like they yeah. both kind of got off here. It, it really sounds like they did. And unfortunately, in my opinion, I think that because uh, Brave Sunday was a prostitute, I think that people probably automatically judged her before they listened to her story. Right. And, you know, when she is telling her story, one thing that I noticed um, is that, and I, I've never picked up a prostitute or prostituted. I have no idea, like, how any of this really works. But she stated that David had handed money to, like, her pimp out the window. I wonder if he knew what she was signing up for. And then he paid Cindy separately. That is a good point. And then he cuffed her. So I wonder if that guy knew and he's, you know, oh, we need a girl. We need to keep her a while. And, you know, and they gave David her. I wonder if this could be something that had happened before to different women that, you know, worked for him. Yeah, that is a good point. Has anybody talked to him? Does anybody know who he is? I did not see anything on any of that in any of my research. And for this particular case, I think that I have 25 resources I have to list, and I, I didn't see anything aside from that. And I mean, he's a pimp, so I mean, what is he gonna, what information is he really gonna give, I guess, you know? I don't know. Yeah, that's true. He probably disappeared as soon as, uh, as soon as that girl got free. And I'm sure he probably doesn't use his real name. Right. You know, David could be telling him, hey, you know, uh, I need this girl. She won't remember a thing, you know, and as soon as she got out, he probably split. True. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you liked it, please make sure you leave a five-star rating. You can find us on the web at www.coffeemurderandmystery.com. Follow us on Facebook. You can find our Instagram at coffeemurdermystery, Twitter, coffeemurder underscore, Send us a Gmail at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And always remember, evil people are everywhere. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee Murder and Mystery. that we have done. If you feel something has been presented unaccurately or unfairly, please send us an email at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. Thanks. And I...